I knew how to perform before I knew the word for performing because I was always having to perform. I think when you're told you're something you're not from the moment you're born, like quickly trying to catch up with all the rules that weren't coming natural to me. I was like, hold on a minute. Why is everyone staring at me when I'm painting my nails? something going on Hmm. there's yellow everywhere oh yeah it's very (laughs) weird something's happening with Lindsay and i okay so we we see it on the floor right over there i know it's on my new fucking rug it's all over our rug it's like something's happening so there's this yellow neon shit that's on the rug but also on the sofa on the arm and then it's on my left hand and then kristen went home and it's on justin's keyboard on my justin's keyboard (laughs) my feet were yes yellow i thought i had like Jaundice. It's it's like highlighter. <laughs> Honestly, I was like, I was worried for my health. I was like, I'm worried for. Is, is it? I, I was oh, like, my. Is it? We thought it was the curcumin. I thought it was the curcumin. I thought it was like too much turmeric is like oozing out of my pores. <laughs> it's all over my phone. My nails are yellow. It's fucking nasty. <laughs> when Justin said it was on his keyboard, I was like, this is an issue because <laughs> he like wasn't a part of whatever I'm doing. I was like, oh no, no, no. But it's on our rug. It like looks like it's part of the color palette now. Oh, I'm like, oh, now we're like bringing yellow I'm into the house. I'm pissed. We'll be able to get it out. Which rug How? is it on? It's on that one that and one. that one. I mean, whatever. It's just annoying. It is annoying. It'll come out. It's uh, weird. Well, I, it's like preparing. Like when I, I always For think chitlins. like when I have kids, yeah, I mean. Game over. I'm literally going to be walking around with a bucket of paint painting my walls white over the hand marks because I'm kind of like crazy about just got a plan to live in a dump for like 18 <laughs> years I remember the the moment that our van didn't smell like kid shit fuck what kind of van uh Toyota Previa okay okay with bucket seats come on oh what was that one uh, it was like our neighbors had the van Windstar? had the TV yeah the TV on the middle console and you could get the captains my dream car at one point was a teal Windstar oh teal sexy <laughs> That car was the best. It was the best. That was and now you wanted you don't it to be vans. like a moving room. Yeah. You know, it's like a room on wheels. Yeah. But now it's like SUVs are, are it. If you see a van, you're like, huh. Yeah, vans like don't <laughs> literally don't exist. It's so funny. But they'll come back, to be honest. Everything in waves. Yeah. Everything in That's cycles. True. Vans will be back. Probably when we're probably when it's our time. So true. <laughs> it's when it's our time. We'll be vanning it up. It'll be like a one of those big Mercedes vans that you take yes. to the airport. Yes. Families will be driving in them. I remember I had our neighbors had nine kids and they had one of those vans. Oh. For the children. God damn. Actually, I think they had eleven at the end. When I was like gone, it was like 11? nine. Eleven? Mm-hmm. Very religious. Oh, okay. What do you are they Church of Latter day Saints? No, I don't think they're Mormon, but they were just not using birth control. Wow. Yeah. That is, it's like the Duggars. It was very much like the Duggars. (laughs) Like at the end of it, it was like, oh, there's like the youngest. Her name was, you know, Elisa. It wasn't Elisa, but whatever. And then it would be like, oh, they had two more. And you're like, oh, fuck. You know, like when you're pregnant with your eldest child, (laughs) meaning like at the same time as your eldest child is pregnant, there is an issue. Totally. (laughs) Totally. So excited about this week with another very, very special human. Travis Alabanza is on the podcast today. Travis is a is a performer, writer, and theater maker. They are traveling all over the world, spreading poetry, style, political views. And their performances, you know, take risks and make impact. And we mm-hmm. couldn't be more excited to talk yeah. to them today. 
Travis is such an important voice in this conversation around gender, this conversation around identity, this conversation on non-binary people and really the experience that Travis brings is so beautiful and so touching. And they are one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. Mm -hmm. At Travis Alabanza, if you guys would like to as well. It's T-R-A-V-I-S-A-L-A-B-A-N-Z-A. So good. Um, We know you'll enjoy this conversation. Please join the Secret Facebook group. We will be talking about it in there, um, as well as talking about a lot of other things in a supportive, enlightening uh, environment. So we'd love to have you there. Thank you. As always for listening, subscribing, rating, and reviewing means the world world, to us. Yes. Thank you so much. We'll read one of your reviews on the flip and thank you, Travis, for being a part of Almost 30 Nation. It Mm -hmm. means so much. Your voice in these conversations with our community is so valuable. Enjoy. We're just so excited to have um, you on. We've been admiring your work from afar for a long time now. And so thank you for making the time. Of course. Super excited. Um, we are the Almost 30 podcast. We just we just start recording right away. So we, we do a separate introduction, but just a little bit about us. Um, we started Almost 30. Uh, we were inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s. And um, we knew that what we were experiencing, we couldn't be alone. You know, everyone is going through some sort of transition at any point in their life. Um, so you know, we've just created a community of just really supportive truth seekers and, you know, they're really excited to hear from you. So I'd love to know kind of who Travis was before everyone knew about Travis mm-hmm. and um, kind of what the trajectory <laughs> that brought you here. Start as early as you want, but we're just fascinated by you as an artist and an activist. Yeah. So I guess... The listeners already realizing is that I'm from the UK, from the accent. Um, and I grew up outside of London in a smaller city, but in the suburbs of the city um, with just my mum and my mother. So I grew up on like a housing projects. Um, we grew up really, really poor. We didn't have any access to like any art at all. Me like visioning my as an artist was like never really something that I could imagine. I was always a creative kid. Um, And it was always clothes that I would find like my creative lease for. I remember like a very young age customizing my school in, in the UK, we all have to wear school uniforms. It's not just private schools, like everyone wears school uniforms. Mm -hmm. And um, I would cut up my school polo shirts and my ties. I would tie them in bows instead of ties (laughs) and wear big flared trousers and lots of like big joy. So I I think when my mum was like, oh, you're definitely going to be something to do with something of that cradle. But I started basically, I found open mic nights and I knew I knew I needed to scream about something. I just didn't have a space to do it. I guess it was a mix of 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 hard work, lots of really bad mistakes and bad shows and luck, you know, coming in at the right time that meant that now I'm kind of gaining this platform. Were your were your parents always really supportive? It sounds like your mom like kind of saw saw you as kind of the artist that you are before. So, but what's your relationship like? My mom, we just I was just back home for a show just on Saturday. Actually, it was my mom's sixty first birthday, and we were reflecting on it a lot too because I think that it built this narrative of my mom up until this, up until like recently, actually, that, you know, she'd always been super supportive, super loving, super caring. And I think it was kind of more complicated than that. Like she definitely loved my creativity and definitely saw that. But I think when conversations had to come up about her, there was a lot of confusion. Um, I feel like she only knew what she'd seen in the media, which, so when I said to her that I didn't think I was a man, she assumed that I was going to wake up the next day and suddenly want to have loads of surgery and that I was a woman. And I was explaining to her, you know, maybe that might be the case in the future. I'm not sure, but actually this is how I want to look at the moment. And these are the things. So she was always supportive of me and my core. She always said, you know, hey, whatever's going to make you happy. But I was, it would be a lie to say that there wasn't a back and forth and that back and forth is still happening. You know, even when Mm -hmm. I went back for my show, this weekend that had just passed, there was still some confusions and some questions, you know. It adds complications where she can, she sees her kid in the paper, you know, and sees all these other people talking about her kid. 
I have to kind of catch up. I'm like, what have you read? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, it's good, right? (laughs) How are the reviews? (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, yeah. She was like, "Um, so I saw you in this makeup and I just want to double check. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, the thing about my mom is she's more concerned that I'm doing the makeup right rather than the fact that I'm totally love her. She's like, can I borrow that shade? (laughs) Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's amazing. So you um, growing up then, how did you, it just sounds like, I mean, it's such a, we, you know, we only talked for a few minutes about your story, but were there ever times when you just felt like you just wanted to like give up and not completely be yourself because it was easier to conform. You know what I mean? Like what made you always come back to the path of being yourself? I remember that, you know, I was being myself and not conforming to in terms of gender and expecting from the get-go. It was, and, and then I think that when I turned 14, I can remember first experience my first like kind of queer folk bashing in public on the street. It was in my neighborhood, which was also confusing for me because I'd grown up there and I felt really mm-hmm. connected there. And I remember that it was that moment where the bubble kind of burst. And I, I turned around to my friend. I was like, you know, um, oh, I should have checked before about language I can use in the show. Oh, no, oh, you're, yeah, you're good. You're yeah. good. Oh, okay. I was like, hey, I was like to my friend, I was like, hey, you like, that person just called me a faggot. Mm-hmm. And my friend turned and I was like, well, yeah, I mean... Duh. And I was like, oh, yeah. And they were like, what, has that never happened to you before? And I was like, I don't think it has. And I think then I was like, oh, okay, this might be something that's that's going to happen a lot in my life. I think I didn't, I tried to hide, which kind of, even if it was successful or not, still felt like hiding. And even though like my hiding wasn't really very good, (laughs) I was like, hey mom, I'm going out in something like, I'm going out in something a bit like more discreet today. And my mom was like, that's your discreet? Like, (laughs) She's like, you're wearing assless chaps again. (laughs) Yeah. You could hide another person under those flares. And I was like, oh, (laughs) but um, I think, I think there's so many times you want to give up. I think it really depends on the day. You know, I'm still harassed constantly and I've just been better at dealing with it. But there's still days when, I think for me, it's always about when I'm dating new people. That's when I I, I, I find it hard is when I, you know, I'm saying this because I went on a date this week and I was, and we were harassed or I was harassed on the date. And then by subsequent, they were also, you know, experiencing harassment for the first time. And that's when I was like, oh, this is like, it's tough, you know, it's not every day, like an Instagram post, you know, I think that sometimes the way we create social media at the moment is that we, we turn everything into a positive, everything has to turn into a likable and shareable feel good factor. And that's just not the case, you know, like, and I think it would be completely dishonest to like suggest that. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that street harassment? How do you deal with, you know, if you do get comments on social media or how do you deal with that other person who you might be on a date with? Like, what is that conversation like? Well, the date conversation, I wish I was smoother at it. Um, <laughs> it tends to be like really awkward. I know I get really, <laughs> I get really embarrassed, you know, especially if like, I'm with someone that's really cute and like doesn't maybe have many gender non-conforming friends. I'm like, oh damn, like this is awkward. And then they they're like super super worried that you're okay and like he was being really kind. But I was like, oh, this just like ruins the like hotness of like the flirtation of the date. But then I'm kind of like, well, you know, it's gonna happen if if this person wants to like you, then they have to kind of get to know all those parts. But I feel like state isn't fun for that. But I I, I live with three other trans people. And for me, that's really important. I live with three other gender non-conforming trans people. And that's a real way of like, uh, we deal with it with humor. You know, I think we come home and we check in how our days have been. And we maybe like make up a different scenario where I like took off my heel and threw it at the person and like screamed <laughs> back and we make we make jokes. Or, or sometimes dealing with it looks like um, not talking about it, you know? Mm. I think sometimes it's also about being honest about like, actually, I don't know how to deal with it. And we shouldn't know how to deal with it, you know, in trans, gender non-conforming people that experience and we get used to it, but whether or not we should ever learn how to deal with it, because that was 
it should be normalized, you know? Absolutely. Do you feel like sometimes it's just like annoying because it's like they do the action and then there you are as like a thoughtful, conscious human being like, should I teach them? Should I approach it with love? Should I tell them something that will shut them up? Should I, it's like you have so many conversations in your head with how you should deal with the situation. It's like kind of frustrating because it's like, I didn't want this, but here I am like thinking a hundred ways what I should do. Yeah. Real. And I feel like as trans people and gender non-conforming people particularly, we're constantly placed as the educator, even when we, we don't want to be. And it's like, we have to be kind and compassionate in our, our response to it. And sometimes you just want to scream oh, and sometimes yeah. you want to be, actually, I want to fight back. Or sometimes totally. you just want to ignore it. I, and I think that um, what I do now at the moment, it depends what mood I'm in. At the moment, I'm in a headphones kind of season. So it's just headphones in, carry on walking, smile and wave. You know, today mm-hmm. I was in a gorgeous little two-piece skirt and blazer number and I heard someone call me faggot and I could have turned around, but I just stopped, waved, smiled, carried on walking. I was like, that's the kind of mode I'm giving it today. Because mm-hmm. it's what you have time for, you know? I think when it's children, I'm very different. When it's children, it hits my weak spot. And especially if parents aren't using that as a teaching lesson for their children, then I really stop what I'm doing and I pause and I reach over and I say, I'm really sorry. I'm just going to talk to your child for a moment. I don't know if you're aware that they were staring, pointing and laughing at me. I'm not going to tell them off. I just want to have a conversation. Mm. And for me, that's like much easier because I don't feel like I'm in immediate danger, like physically. And I also think that if you get children, then actually like maybe they're not going to do that in their classroom or they'll bring back their lesson in the school, you know? So children I'm a lot different with. I have time for them and I have space for that learning lesson. But scary men and adults when I'm walking down the street at the moment, no, no, headphones Mm -hmm. in. (laughs) Yeah, I love that about the children because they are, if they're young enough, you know, their subconscious is being formed in those early years. So that's beautiful that like you would take the time to talk to them. So I'm so, there's so much to, to talk about, but how did you get into performing? Was that always, was your like artistic expression always part of you, not only through fashion, but like actually performing and, um, you know, bringing joy to people in that way? How did that, how was that born? I think for me, performing, I knew how to perform before I knew the word for performing because I was always having to perform. I think when you're told you're something you're not from the moment you're born, like quickly trying to catch up with all the rules that weren't coming natural to me. I was like, hold on a minute. Why is everyone staring at me when I'm painting my nails? Oh, why is everyone telling me off when I'm like being flamboyant in this way? Oh, I need to perform a certain way to get by. And so I'd gotten really good at performing. And then I remembered there was a school play and it wasn't a Christmas play. It was our first time not doing a Christmas play, like the nativity play. Because uh, in the UK, most schools are still like tied to the church, like local schools. And we were allowed to do like a pantomime and there was a witch as one of the roles. And um, I said to the teacher, I said, hey, is it just girls like auditioning for the witch? And she was like, it wasn't till now. And I was like, great. <laughs> I would love to play the witch. And she was like, are you sure? And I was like, well, I want a fair audition like everyone else, but I think I could really smash this role. And, you know, <laughs> plot twist, I killed it. I really came through. Uh, I really built like a three-dimensional witch. Um, my witch was like, oh, my witch had all different sides. She had a real backstory. I really built in, she didn't have many lines, but I really built in as if she was the main role. And um, <laughs> they said, okay, <laughs> they said, okay, Travis, you're going to play the witch. And everyone was gagged because my school was, uh, you know, a very working class school. There wasn't any out queer people at the time. You know, I was also like black in this school as well. And I was out here saying, I'm going to be the witch. Uh, and everyone came ready to, to laugh at me. But I did such a good performance, so they couldn't stop laughing, but in a good way. And I realized for that moment that, um, you know, here on the stage was the only chance that I could play out the femininity that was actually the truest thing to me. You know, it was so funny that people were seeing Mm -hmm. The Witch as a performance, 
But actually for me, it was the realest thing I'd done ever in my life. And I, and, and I kept on wanting to peek out those moments on stage where I could try out all these versions of myself that um, felt tourist. And now it's different because I get to, you know, live out my gender expression how I want to most of the time in, in my real life. But I still go to the stage to work out the things that I, I can't work out in public, you know, to say mm. the things that I can't say in public. And, you know, I get, I'm quite known, obviously, for like these dramatic stage looks. But for me, those are all the things I would wear on the tube. Like I would hand down wear them get milk and my biscuits if I could. (laughs) (laughs) So London, I love it. And something you mentioned that when you were talking to your mother and your family and kind of even the conversations that, you know, we're having or that uh, people are starting to have, I'd love to talk about, you know, the vocabulary of being trans, of being femme, of being gender nonconforming or non-binary, all of those things. Like, where did you first, where did you like learn how to speak in this way and how to express yourself so that people could understand, you know, where you're coming from? And then what are, what's like a way that we can kind of educate our audience and how to use certain vocabulary? I think it's like really important for me to just say that like, these like words like non-binary and trans and and gender non-conforming i think they're an aid in so many ways but we also so have to remember that like we existed before these words too right as in like trans people and people that we would now say are non-binary have existed throughout history from the beginning and and i think that's what's missed a lot in this conversation around in the current like media conversation around non-binary identities is people are kind of framing it as this kind of new millennial trend what that really misses out is like pre-colonization in lots of different places in the continent of africa in south asia in parts of india and in the philippines even going back in in greece there's been histories of people that have said like I am not a man or a woman, I'm something else. And so I always start with that to kind of ground this like language that can seem really intimidating. Like I, I think we shouldn't lie that this this new terminology can feel intimidating, you know? And we're all a lot of people are afraid to make mistakes and, and, and afraid to say the wrong thing. And I, I think that sometimes that's useful, but also just contextualizing it in the fact that we're not new really helps calm me. I'm like, okay, there's been loads of people that are like me that have used other words. I think I found non-binary. Sorry, I'm ranting loads, aren't I? But um, I think I, I, I think I found non-binary on the internet, like somewhere around. And it was like on Tumblr. I think, wow, it's so cliche, but it was definitely on Tumblr. (laughs) Um, Not helping the whole millennial narrative of (laughs) non-binary, but I, I, I definitely knew I knew what I was before I found the word. I, I, I knew that I, you know, I knew that I wasn't a man. I knew that gender made me uncomfortable. And then when I found that there was these people that said, hey, actually, like, you can just be neither, all of them, none of the above. I was like, oh, I'm breathing lighter. Wow, I can kind of relax. I don't have to have the answer. So I feel like non-binary is really helpful as like an umbrella term. Like it means lots of different things. Like not one non-binary person is the same as someone else. Just like I don't believe one cisgender woman experiences gender the same as the other cisgender woman. I think that always helped me explain it to my family. It was like, instead of building this like kind of big wall between trans and cis, why don't we look at like everyone's gender and realize everyone is unique. Like I don't believe that anyone is experiencing gender in the same way. You put Mm. two cisgender people together, they're not the same woman. And for me, that's exactly the same way I think about trans is that like trans simply just means to to change quite literally, but uh, it just means that you don't identify as the gender that you were assigned at birth. And I think the important word that I add, especially when I'm talking to feminists, is, is without consent. You know, we were assigned something at birth, the first act of, in my opinion, the first moment we're born, there's an act against our consent. And we're told we're something without us saying that we are something. And Travis is just saying, hey, I was told this thing that I am. And I'm saying, I'm actually not. I'm redeclaring my boundaries for my body. And I I think that's why I get really confused when when modern movements pit trans people against feminism. 
Because to me, what feels like at the core of a child politic is autonomy over our body and consent. Mm, that is beautiful. Wow. Love that. <laughs> How does it feel to be influential? You know, like, I, I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, because you are like, you know, I you serve as... We talk about it on the podcast sometimes as like an expander for, you know, um, not only mm -hmm. youth in your community that are quiet and scared and unsure and unable to fully express themselves. Like, what does that feel like? And is there, mm -hmm. is that something that's at the forefront of your mind or are you just, you know, living your life? Yeah. Really good question. Also, side note, like I'm 23. So I like you. I feel like Well, you're uh, an old do you feel like you're an old soul? <laughs> yeah. 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 I feel I mean, I, feel I, like I, I didn't I didn't mean question. you looked yeah. older than 23, like when I first put, posed that question, but because <laughs> you look young. <laughs> I love that you said I'm 23. <laughs> that makes me so happy. You're like, I'm 23. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I yeah. but at like, that I young age, I can imagine it's like a it's true though. It's Dude, a that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's why like I have to open like whole com like any conversation about I've gotten a lot better at this. I think like before I used to hide my age and also hide the nerves. And now like maybe it's practice of doing this quite a lot and interviews a lot that I, I, I look at interviews now as a chance to just both of us to like find out new stuff about myself. Yes. So now I'm just way yeah. more honest and I'm enjoying interviews way more and I'm having so much more fun doing them because I'm just like, let me just be honest. Like, 23 like no. but it means that like um yeah I have a, I have a real I, I I do get told I have an old soul a lot I think like I had to grow up from quite a young age due to like having to work loads of jobs and support myself and all these things I think yeah it's scary sometimes but I also I try not to think about it I try and just stay authentic to myself and do whatever I was gonna do you know I've been speaking about this kind of things before I had 30,000 people listening or whatever, you know? I, and so if I just remind myself, like, what would I be saying if no one was here? Then, mm. then, then it would be this, that's how I test my authenticity. I think that's the only thing to worry about when this stuff happens is, are you still being authentic to what you want to say? I guess, you know, it's also me as my platform grows. It's just about always reminding myself of maybe some other people that, couldn't be having this platform and, and shouting them out too. So this is a good side note. If we're into UK trans voices, Kachenga is an amazing black trans mm. woman writer. She just wrote an incredible article on Vice about writing to trans prisoners. That's incredible. Charlie Craggs, Monroe Birdgolf, Sean Fay. These are all incredible UK trans voices. I think it's just reminding myself to do that. And as long as I'm still reminding myself that I'm not an individual. Like, I think that's the trap is that social media culture and influencer culture, quote unquote, all these things try and force us to like really think that we're like this individual thing. And it's reminding myself that I can never succeed as an individual, that the only way I can succeed is with a community. And to keep mm. that in the center of what I do relaxes me, you know? That's mm, beautiful. Yes. We feel that with almost 32. It's like, it's not, not about us, you know, in the grand scope of it. And for, you mentioned, you know, always coming back to your authenticity. Do you ever remember a time in your life where you were being, where you were being inauthentic to yourself and you were like, oh, that wasn't me. That was some influence or something like that. Yeah. All the time. I mean, like, I feel like this year, even if I'm being honest, just being uh, confronted with a lot of moments where it's like, are you doing this because you want to do this? Or are you doing this because you've been offered this, this and this? Constantly. I, I think that I'm having to always remind myself, what is this for? I think because I never planned to be an artist and I never planned to have this, I think something happens when you grow up kind of poor and with not a lot of opportunities around you that like you kind of don't envision that this is possible. So for me, when it started to suddenly happen, I was really having to take stock and be like, what are you doing? Are you saying yes because you didn't think this was ever going to happen? And I really had to think about, you know, I've made some 
again, I'd be surprised if I hadn't made mistakes in my in my really young career, um, where I've you know said yes to people that didn't have my best intentions at heart. And and I think when you encompass certain identities, especially with a climate wants to sometimes capitalize on those identities, you can get used and you can turn into someone's like advertisement and maybe done that sometimes. And I'm like, oh, this didn't feel good. Like I didn't feel in control. Um, I didn't feel like I was helping anyone because no one was getting the real me. So yeah, um, campaigns that shan't be named, but definitely a few <laughs> that I'm like, oh, let me delete that post after the contract's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, you're like, Mm-mm. so your intuition is uh, really. What's the right? <laughs> yeah, your intuition's like strengthened. Do you have like kind of that, like, what is your, I guess, spiritual life look like? Is like that, and then also just to like your intuition and your soul. Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah. My family is like, part of them is like really Catholic. And then the other side of my family, my mum was a Buddhist growing up. Mm. Um, so there was always like religion in the home quite frequently. As I was like practicing in some ways, but like not really. For me now, it's really important that I have mindfulness when I'm doing things. That I have like 30 minutes in the morning when nothing is on nothing is around and I don't look at what my plan is for the day. I don't look at who's emailed me my schedule. I just sit there and breathe and think about what I did this last week and what I want to do the next week. And that's really important for me. I think my friends are just my spirit like checkers. Like they Mm. keep me so grounded and they are not wrapped up in this world that can surround you. They're just like, hey, like we know you and we want to check that this is what's doing for you. So sometimes like, again, it's about removing the individual. My intuition isn't just my own intuition. I trust my friend's intuition surrounding me. And just like I would, they trust me to guide them. Part of me breaking down this idea that I'm an individual is also being like, well, my friends have a stake in my choices too. Just like I have a stake in theirs. So you know, how often it's not uncommon for me to ring up a friend and be like, this is happening. What do you think? And they'll be like, how sleepy are you? I'm like, very sleepy. They're like, don't do it. And I'll be like, I trust you. I'm not going to do it. I hang up and that was intuition because I didn't have the energy for that intuition that day. I love that. Yeah, it's a great reminder. I love that. For the open mics that you did, um, like what was your first open mic? You know, how did you, like, what were you like? Hi, I'm going to talk about this. Like, what was that like? (laughs) You're like, I'm going to do the witch again. (laughs) No. (laughs) Hey, I don't know if you heard, but I did this witch three years ago really well. I'm going to bring it back. Crazy. (laughs) (laughs) My open mics were awful. I was so bad. I was goddamn awful. And I remember bringing my friends. I would have to bring my friends. Like, I would pay them in, like, you know, we were 15, but we were underage drinking in, in these open mics. I'd be like, I will buy you like two bottles of wine if you come with me to these open mics. My friends were like, really? Two bottles? I was like, yes. So, so I had to persuade them to come to the open mic because it was so bad. And my first open mic performance, oh my God, I was like maybe the youngest in there by like a good 40 years. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and there was a priest. I kid you not. There was a priest, and like an ex priest in the room, a group of like quite stereotypical um, hippies, and then a, a mother's group in room <laughs> two. And I was like, damn, where's all the young, where's all the young people? Like, again, I was in the suburbs. So like, it wasn't really like a kick-in spoken word scene. <laughs> and I was like, hi, like my office. And I had to lie. I was like, I'm 18 years old because that's how old you have to be to get into the bar. And I'm going to do a poem about oral sex. And everyone no! was like, oh. amazing. <laughs> Do share. And it was so, it was so bad, like awful. But, you know, I think in standard wise, people were just excited to have anything that wasn't about like flowers and rivers. So everyone was like, yes. Wait, was <laughs> it bad you know, because you this, did, like, very, was, was it bad because you didn't get the reaction you wanted? I, I'm sure it was good. No, I was bad. Ah! I mean, I'm, I was, I was bad. <laughs> Audience was bad. It was just a lot of bad. I also like had adopted this quite like, you know, that cliche spoken word voice where like everything sounds syncopated with like, oh, and everything's like, 
Yeah, it was very that. You're like I sucking the dick. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. And I was like, and you know, I just, my friends being like, yay, expression. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Don't believe but, you. Um, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. But it somehow, I think I found something in between there and I found how to write work. But it was definitely awful. But I kept on going. Someone from a theater saw me there and was like, hey, this person looks like they're really good. Put me into some like theater classes. You know, it was, it started out bad, but um, things changed. They got a bit better, <laughs> a tiny bit. <laughs> As they do. I feel like if it was really good off the bat, you might have flatlined, you know? <laughs> it, exactly. My peak was definitely not 15. Maybe the poem will have a reprise. I at some love point. that it was oral sex. <laughs> yeah. Oh my Go God. You. The priest is like, it was a boner. Some, yeah, the priest was wild. The priest was wild. I mean, the group of mums were the most shocked. But it was like, you know, a lot of my early work was like, all like, as trying to be as vulgar as possible. Uh, it was very like, you know, it was like shock factor. Like, look, everyone, like I'm having like sex that I'm probably not allowed to like have. It's going to be shunned. It was very like in your face. I'm like, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's your creative process like? At the moment, it's hard because I'm in the middle of making a new theatre show that comes out in October. And um, now, unfortunately, my creative process is, is clouded with like, um, well, not on, you know, pros and cons, with lots of other in the room. Now I'm working with teams and theatres and, and a lot bigger places. It's hard to sometimes pause and have remind yourself of what your creative practice was without other people in the room. But I'm often, I write all the time on public transport. That's where I make most of my work is like the first draft is always on my phone on public transport. And I did that when I was younger and I still do that now. It's just where I put all of my motor thoughts. And then I'll normally try, I'll forget about it. And then I'll get into like a deep conversation with a friend and remember that I'd written this thing down and try and like bring it into the conversation somehow. And then that's time, like my first time performing it, like improvising it there. Mm. And then I go back to it and like re-edit. But for me at the moment, it's about collaboration. So I'm like working with lots of great filmmakers and animators and choreographers and just ways of like bringing in more people in the room. But I think it's lots of practice. And then on stage, I'm kind of, everything goes out the window. And I just like, I'm pretty known for a lot of improvisation, a lot of <laughs> off the cuff things and stuff like that. I love that. I it's love that. Beautiful. Can you talk about before I step outside and tell our listeners yeah. about mm -hmm. it? Yeah. It's my first poetry book. Um, and I'd written it a year and a half, just over a year now ago. And it's compiled completely on public transport on my old iPhone that's no longer with me. It was basically for me of trying to build a living artifact that could document that I survived outside, that could document that I had existed in public. Um, it happened after someone threw a burger at me in broad daylight. Someone threw a piece of food at me and called me a tranny. And for me, it was a real pausing moment of like, you know, we talked about it earlier in the interview of what happens when you can't deal with it. And it was one of those moments, this is a lot. So I've got two options. I'm going to either give up or like I need to do something. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make this book. And it was never meant to be released. I was just going to write it and send it to a friend. And then I sent it to the friend and my friend was like, this needs to, this needs to exist somewhere. So I was like, okay, but I'm, I'm not bothered about finding a publisher. I don't want to do any of that. I don't want to commercialize it. Let me just release a couple copies and see what happens. And then we released like, some copies and everyone was like, it went in like a second. And I was like, okay, I feel like people need this. And it kind of became like this, this self-publishing kind of baby of mine has, um, I've been really lucky. It's taken me like around Europe and a, we did a book tour in the States with it just by myself in April. And it was, it's beautiful. It's, it's for me, you know, it's, it's weird because I'm moving on to new work now, but it was so important at the time to just say that I existed, you know, I survived. And I felt like in the UK specifically, I know in the US there has actually been some literature about this before, but in the UK, I, I was typing up, you know, before I'd made this book, I was like, I didn't want to make this book, actually. I wanted to find a book that had already done this. I was remembering after the moment of being harassed, I was typing up 
on all these poetry archives, like, can I just find a book that's talking about this? And I couldn't. And so I feel like in the UK, it's been a real important archiving of there was so much discussion about trans bodies, trans surgeries, um, trans before and afters, all these things. But there wasn't like, what does it mean just to like walk outside? You mm. know, things in these conversations about bathrooms and pronouns, whereas people are being having food thrown at them, you know? Mm-hmm. What has it been like to travel the world? And how are, you know, gender nonconformists um, accepted or not in different places? I feel like the sad blanket truth is that you experience violence everywhere. But it's definitely different in different places. When I was in Copenhagen, everyone was definitely having an issue, but they were just too scared to say anything. They were just too polite. So they just like kind of stared and then like bowed their head and you just carry on walking. And I was like, okay, this is fine. Um, but then, you know, Texas was a whole different story. You know? Yeah. I mean, I thought, I mean, I'll never forget on the US tour. I did like 23 shows in 30 days and I was wow. excited for Miami. It's like, oh my God, I'm going to Miami. I can't wait. This is amazing. And I get my plane ticket and I'm like, why does it say Ohio? And I found out I was going to Miami University in Ohio. <laughs> oh, honey, that's where I went to college. <laughs> that's where Krista went. That's where I went to no. college. Yes. Oh, my I did God. A, I did a key. Hi, right. you want to talk shit, you can talk shit. Hamilton, <laughs> Ohio. <laughs> yeah. So I went into the keynote at Miami, Miami University there. But I thought I was going Florida. So I was so excited. <laughs> and it... And I got, you know, I will never forget, I got off and my driver picked me up and he just took a look at me and said, you're not from here, are you? I was like, no, I'm not. And I just carried on walking. I mean, it was the same when I was, I was in Maine. I was doing a, you know, a Colby, is it Colby in Maine? Yes. And um, I was on a five-seater, like commuter plane, call it, but oh. I just be tiny and going up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the person next to me had a Trump sticker on and I was in a latex two-piece um, with a big fasten- like fascinator. And I just looked around at the mall and I said, I'm glad it's only an hour flight. <laughs> and just <laughs> got out. <laughs> oh my God. Just, you know, that is there were so many moments where it was just surreal. And I feel like so often um, I could talk so much about the violence, but sometimes I want to sit in the surrealism. Like, Surrealism. It's so surreal. Yes. Because actually, like to incorporate this body means that you have such wild experiences. None of them you're asking for, but they just, you know, come to you. Miami, Ohio was definitely one of them. <laughs> oh, honey, like what was that like? It meant a lot because I, I this the is tour so funny. was very odd because it wasn't from a publishing house, you know, it was all done for me and my team. So you know, some of the shows were huge and like big, uh, big venues looking after you. And some you would like have like two queer people that just like raise some money to bring you there, right? And both are great for different reasons, but you never knew which it was going to be until you landed. I remember turning up to Miami, Ohio and being like, okay. The driver's like asked where I'm meant to be. I'm like turning up, everyone's looking at me. It's pouring down with rain. This is going to be interesting. And you know, I did a talk to maybe like 30 queer people, which was like my smallest audience in the whole tour. And it was so special. They took me out for, um, what was the special food, the cuisine that they eat? It was really weird. I um, love that you like want chili. to call it cuisine. It's a chili cheese dog. Oh, <laughs> yes, dog. I yes. am obsessed with they you like- that you called it a cuisine. <laughs> it is a fucking chili cheese dog. That is the last meat that I ever ate. So I haven't eaten meat in 15 years. That was the last meat I ever ate. Oh I had a chili God. cheese dog and was like, I'm done with this. <laughs> yes. I, I don't blame you. It was really Nasty. bad. But I, but, I, but, I, but I would promise myself that every stop I would try like what they suggested. And, you know, it was really cute. These like, I felt like it was the youngest audience my tour as well. Like even though they were all maybe same ages of a college students, they felt really young. And there was just 30 of them. No one else was interested that I was there. You know, the other campuses had a few people that were, you know, a few followers that were really excited. Here was no one. And it was just really special. Like it was, you know, I went straight back to my hotel afterwards. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was really, it was a really special gig. But when I left Ohio, I was very much, but the, oh my God, I left out the worst part. 
um, because I thought it was Florida, I booked an extra day to relax. And it was like my day off on the tour, but I was in Ohio for my day. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you do? Girls, do you have a pool here? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I just... Stayed in the room. Stayed in my hotel and just ordered room service. Good choice, honey. Oh my God. That is hilarious. You're like, I'm here to spread a message uh, from 7 to 9 p.m. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. That is so funny. That's after my own heart. My, my, I got out. (laughs) You said that you create, like, sometimes your inspiration comes from, like, a need. Like, what is meaning a need in society to, to experience this art and the message. What is like your next, you met, you kind of mentioned the next project, but what is, can you give us a little insider info? At the moment, my need is still pulling to for people to understand gender nonconformity. And it feels like it's still like, really, I just need it. You're right. It comes from this need. It's like, I believe that art is a form of activism. It's a form of way of creating an accessible way for people to understand you. And unfortunately, I think so much violence comes from people not understanding. And that's not to give them a, a, t- a free ticket off. So I'm still trying to make art for people to, to, to realize that we exist. And so what I guess I mean in that my new feeler piece is different is that before I step outside and my body of work for the last year has been so much focused on trauma and that in the way to communicate this message. And I guess from touring that so much, I'm now really looking at satire and, and comedy and what it means to kind of not give the audience your trauma and instead flip it around on the audience. Uh, so my new show um, is called Burgers and it's mm. actually kind of like a game show. And it's kind of about complicity and complicit, being complicit. And because um, when the burger was thrown at me, it was in the middle of the day and it was on a really busy main bridge in London and no one did anything. And so this show is actually inviting the audience into this theater room and it's kind of setting them up for a game show and seeing when we decide as an audience to stop. And so I guess it's still talking about similar things. It's still asking the same questions in my work, but I'm trying to find new ways to communicate it. Um, because I think we're so used to seeing trans people just talk about all the horrible things that happen to us and actually become really easy because then we're like, wow, they're so inspiring. They're so brave. They're so strong. And I guess now what I'm looking for in my work is like, and do you have to like me in order to want me to be free? Do you have to think I'm kind to want me to be free? Like, should we also want the messy trans people, the boring trans people, the trans people that can't give you this inspirational speech to also be free, you know? Yeah, that is good. Yeah. yeah. We want to go to burgers. Yeah. We should... When yeah, is it, well, when is it coming gonna, out? October? Yeah. So it's coming to the UK in October. Uh, but I think in 2019, it's definitely going to be in the US somewhere. Great. Come to LA. Like, yes. Yeah, it'll be back. We would love to see. Yes, you. I'm. I think. I think it's happening. I can't. It's so annoying having to be like. I don't know. No, but I'm. Like, I'm going to be in April. <laughs> yeah, you will. Okay, great. So, how can people best connect with you? Mm-hmm. Where can people see your work? Um, oh yeah, I forget. This is going to be like all these people that like. I podcast is so weird, aren't they? Because people like I, isn't it to weird? Them when they go to bed, like in the car, and like. They don't know you, so they like won't even know what I look like until they like. That's gonna be interesting too. Um, well, you can always connect. I feel like Instagram is like the most personable place they can connect with me. It's the most like instant. It's the one I'm on. So Travis Alabanza, um, but also like my website. You can just go. Ha- you Google. know what? After this podcast, turn it off. Google Travis. Google Travis Alabanza. Ignore the mean articles and find the ones that are by me. <laughs> yeah, they're beautiful and and also YouTube. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, um, yeah, I'm sure YouTube. I haven't looked on that in a while, but I'm mm-hmm. sure that'll be alright too. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for making the time at 11:45. I know, honey, <laughs> you're a gem. So late. <laughs> we truly are so grateful. I had so much fun. You're the best. And we can't wait to meet you. We will meet you when we're here in LA. (laughs) 
It's been the best. You're the best. Thank you so much. Our community is so excited to connect with you. So get ready. Almost 30 nations coming for you. They love to connect. So they will be. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We love you. Thank you so much. Thank you, sweet one. Mm -hmm. Have a good night. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Bye. Such a good one. Thank you so much, Travis. Um, Please join the secret Facebook group to talk more about this. Mm -hmm. We would love to continue the conversation in another um, one of the podcasts where we explore um, gender is the one with Alok. So Mm -hmm. if you search Alok on iTunes, you can find our podcast with they there. Mm -hmm. And wanted to share a review of the week. So these reviews are couldn't be more grateful for when you guys share with us how this podcast has impacted your life or how one of the guests has impacted your life. And these really help us to bring on great guests, help us to continue conversations that are important and that are valuable and that are changing the world. So thank you so much. Here is one, five stars. There aren't enough stars to properly rate this. I don't listen to podcasts, but my best friend said I had to give this one a chance. She was referred to this podcast by another friend and couldn't stop raving about it. So I gave it a listen and now I can't stop sharing it either. These ladies take a long look and talk about everything from hormones, sex, being a woman entrepreneur and using safe cleaning products. We get to sit back and learn about it all. What I love about them is that they ask questions we want answered. I swear it's like something I've said, thought something aloud to myself and hear them asking the same question, not even a minute after me. Mm -hmm. I love their enthusiasm. Every episode is jam-packed with interesting conversations and really good humor. I really can't say enough how happy I am I'm listening to and learning from the Almost 30 podcast. Thank you, sweet Gumby 12. Oh, you know, when you feel like you're in someone's brain, like, have you ever like been in that situation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. So I'm glad that we're connected like that. With all our girls. It's like, truly, like literally, I'm like, how are we like, like all the events when I meet everyone, I'm like, how are we like laughing like this? They're the funniest, like so funny. I'm like, they just get it. Get it. (laughs) And they're just like so open and sweet and like willing to express emotion without shame. And I mean, you guys are insane. Seriously, insane. So thank you so much. And really quick to the Your Podcast Pro course. So if you want to start a podcast, maybe you have a business that you want to promote. Maybe you want to bring on conversations with amazing experts. Maybe you have a passion for knitting and you want to help people Mm -hmm. learn to knit. Yes. Um, We can help you to launch, market, grow, brand, turn a business around your podcast, go to your podcast pro. So Y O U R podcastpro.com and you can sign up for the course or you can get a bunch of marketing materials and, you know, resources. If you want to start a podcast, Mm -hmm. we can't wait to work with you. Can't wait. All right. Have a great week. New year, babies. New year, baby. Let's do it. Love you.